Welcome to Songs in the Key of, a podcast about songs. These might be old songs, new songs or middle-aged songs, anything that takes my fancy really. Sometimes these shows will be themed around an idea, a person, a genre or some other concept. Other times they will simply reflect my latest obsessions, my new favourite bands, those songs I can't get out of my head. So let's get on with it. Some music can be just throwaway pop, a happy meal in audible form, fairly pleasant in the moment but ultimately making no lasting impact. There is other music though that becomes more of an experience, it gets under the skin, possibly even rewiring a few neural pathways as it goes. It feels like it is more than the sum of its parts, which is probably where John Hopkins fits in. Emerald Rush from Hopkins's rather fine album Singularity doesn't just sound good, it feels good. Who knows, it might even taste good too. It starts off with a spaced out plinking piano melody played slowly while other ethereal sounds unravel themselves at varying speeds before that grainy beat kicks in, the kind of thing that makes you want to check your speakers haven't blown. And suddenly we're plunged into a glorious dance floor of the mind, pounding bass lines taking the forefront while otherworldly vocals shimmer quietly up top. The whole album is a glorious experience, the kind of thing that should be consumed whole rather than picked apart, as I'm doing here, sorry about that. But let's just spend a few moments basking in the absolute splendour of John Hopkins and the galaxy of sound that is Emerald Rush.
few weeks back I stumbled across an album by a band called No Man which was going cheap in HMV. No Man is an act I've wanted to hear for quite a while now because it is one of the many projects of Stephen Wilson about whom I bang on about with no little regularity on these shows. Not just his solo stuff like the albums The Future Bites and The Raven That Refused to Sing which I've discussed on these podcasts before but also Porcupine Tree new album closure stroke continuation out now sadly not yet bought which was how I first got to hear his music No Man a reference to that old John Don adage about No Man being an island is a dual effort between Stephen Wilson this time purely on instrumental duties and Tim Bonus on vocals very astute listeners to these podcasts may remember that at some point I've talked about these two working together before, not as no man, not even as musical collaborators, but as joint hosts of a podcast called The Album Years, where Wilson and Bonus take a random year and discuss the best albums to emerge from that particular 12-month period. It's very good, and you should definitely listen to it but not until you've finished listening to this. Anyway, I digress. The album I picked up comes from 2019 and goes by the name of Love You To Bits and actually consists of two tracks subdivided into five bits and five pieces each. It's a particularly splendid album because it is a complete mashup of a whole wealth of genres. There's a fair bit of EDM in there, there's obviously a proggy influence with the whole format of two tracks split into five movements each recalling the presentation of songs on Pink Floyd's Wish You Were Here. But there are also nods to 70s pop tunes like 10cc's I'm Not In Love as well, alongside a disco feel to other elements across the album. With the repeated melodic motifs, there are times when the album sounds like a self-referencing remix of itself the musical version of a hall of mirrors where patterns stretch on infinitely in all directions. And we haven't even mentioned the rich, sonorous sound of a brass band which Bonus and Wilson throw into the mix with an air of delightful nonchalance. Love You To Bits takes the old staple of heartbreak for its theme, detailing the thoughts and feelings of someone trying to pick himself up following a breakup. Roughly speaking, the bits of the first track reflect feelings about an ending relationship, while the pieces of the second track reflect something a bit more thoughtful, an assessment of where it might have all gone wrong. There's so much to dig into with this album, the sense of confused numbness in the lyrics, the loss and disorientation, together with the splendid genre-bending sounds pulsating through the piece, it's all rather marvellous, and a tiny bit of it goes a lot like this.
I can only imagine that if you were a violinist in the late 90s, you would never have been short of work. Indie bands from that time seemed to be contractually obliged to feature a string section on their songs. Think Blur's The Universal, Oasis's Whatever, A Design for Life by the Manic Street Preachers, The Verve's Bittersweet Symphony, Manson's The Chad Who Loved Me, Embraces All You Good Good People, The Divine Comedy is Something for the Weekend. And that really is just scratching the surface. Once you start trawling through the mountain of what journalist Andrew Harrison once, rather unfairly, described as indie landfill, you'll find not just violins, but trumpets, clarinets, saxophones, cellos and trombones, all competing for studio space with a conventional lineup of guitar, bass and drums. Some bands adopted this love of orchestral instruments with the zeal of religious converts. Or for some acts, the presence of a string quartet or a brass ensemble was nothing more than a bit of novelty that would keep the cameras busy during an episode of TFI Friday. Other bands adopted the use of these instruments as a USP, woven into the fabric of their whole being. It was generally referred to as chamber pop. Take My Life Story, for example, on the face of it a rather bubblegummy indie pop act, forever destined to play second or even third fiddle to the bands we immediately think of to this day when the dreaded phrase Britpop emerges in conversation. But that's not to do them the greatest of services. Just listen to their 1997 album The Golden Mile and tell me you aren't ever so slightly blown away by the magnificent bombast, the bright musical imagination and the sheer optimistic vibrancy that the album delights in from beginning to end. As might be expected from such a chamber pop act, the lineup for My Life Story was vast, boasting around 12 members, and the result is a selection of copper-bottomed belters. To prove my point, let me refer you to the opening song from The Golden Mile. It goes by the name of 12 Reasons Why, and it is lusciously, wonderfully spectacular. Opening with a mysterious sounding harpsichord that could have been lifted from some cult classic movie of the 1960s, it then swoops into a bloody assault on the ears with turbocharged strings and a heavy bass guitar riff. Lyrically, it's a celebration of the object of our narrator's affection, a potentially bizarre list that itemises not just the obvious attractions of the way she puts her fingers in her mouth or the old park bench where we scratched our names, but also some of her foibles. She never calls me when she says, or running just in time to miss our train. The resulting picture is a portrait of a girlfriend who resides not just on the pedestal of a thousand other love songs, but very much in the real world in which she is her own person, with her own priorities and dreams and quirks.
I'm not as drawn towards the latest music from the standard lineup of four skinny indie kids as I once was, but that's not to say I've completely lost interest in new music from new or newish alt-rock bands. Fontaine's DC can't really be described as new or even newish these days as they are now onto album number three, but there is something primal and urgent and raw about them which recalls newness and vitality even after the release of a trio of LPs. What continues to draw me towards Fontaine's DC is they still sound like the kind of band you could see in some cramped, sweaty small venue, rather than O2 academies up and down the country with audience capacities of thousands, or on primetime TV with Jimmy Fallon. Their music remains claustrophobic, grainy and distorted and intense. Three albums into their career, Oasis had turned into an overblown pantomime act, sporting a complete unawareness of when to call it a day on recording. Ten albums in, I doubt Fontaine's DC will ever be guilty of such self-indulgent nonsense. The whole of Skinty Fjör, their third album released earlier this year, reeks of doom and gloom, so just the way I like it. I was going to talk about the album's title track and how Against a backdrop of grainy beats and noises, it recalls something of the downbeat poetry of Ghost Poet. Or I could have talked about the opening song with its Irish language title that I can't quite pronounce, a doom-laden burst of mourning, loss and fear. But much as I love those songs, it's the song that comes before Skinty Fjör that has really stood out of late. The couple across the way is a particularly poignant portrait of an older couple's relationship, eternally locked in a ferocious battle with one another, yet still staying together. It's sung over a simple, wheezing melodion that is just devastating. It features an equally simple melody, using the sparsest number of notes possible. The repetition just adds to the onslaught, the sadness, the sense of being locked in an endless cycle of love and hate and love again. The whole of Skinty Fjör is an album about discomfort, of not quite being in the right place. The title itself is a mild expletive often uttered by the great aunt of Tom Cole, the band's drummer. It means the damnation of the deer immediately summoning up themes of futility and despair, of there being no escape. Brian Chatton, the band's singer, told Apple Music that there are many ways in which we explore doom on this record. One of them is following in the footsteps of your ancestors or your predecessors, no matter how immediate or far away they might have been. I'm interested in the inescapability of genetics, the idea that your fate is written I do on some level believe in that, that is doom, even if your faith is leading you to a positive place. Freedom is probably the main pursuit of a lot of our music. I think that this is probably a link that ties all of the stuff that we've done together. Autonomy. Baby, it feels like it's of the same and I'm sorry about this morning for the damage I will pay all the mirrors face the wall 
It's always very exciting when you discover, out of the blue, that one of your favourite bands or artists has got a new album coming out. So it was with Catherine Williams, whose Night Drives has recently been released. There's all kinds of musical inventiveness about this record. It's early days yet of me listening to it, but I can tell you it's a grower and it is continuing to grow on me. What's particularly exciting about this Catherine Williams album is that it is produced by one of my other favourite singer-songwriters, Ed Harcourt. In fact, he doesn't just produce the record. As Williams says in her liner notes, how can I say thank you to Ed, you who played most of the instruments, engineered, produced, invented noises, brought visions and inspired arrangements to this record. If you have a familiarity with Harcourt's own music, it's easy to recognise his fingerprint all over Night Drives. There are certain chord structures, little rhythmic flourishes that leave little doubt of Harcourt's presence in the recording studio. But for all that, it remains a Catherine Williams record, not a Williams and Harcourt record. These songs remain typical of Williams's hushed, understated delivery, her tender, soul-searching lyrics and gorgeous musicality. Moon Karaoke is one of the songs that immediately leaps out from the album. It's an anthem for the introverted, the unsure and the lonely, imagining a whole universe at play. The moon singing karaoke, the stars cruising bars and comets playing catch me if you can. Everyone, she observes, everything is having fun but me. The winds playing out in the trees, clouds are pretending to be sheep, I'm just trying to be me. On top of this, there's a lilting piano accompaniment that hints at Franz Schubert's Ave Maria before the strings kick in with an even more overt reference to Schubert's classical standard. The result is something almost like an old torch ballad that groans and yearns with a desire to work out one's place in the world. And with the reference to Ave Maria, it turns into something almost prayer-like, crying out to anyone who will listen for something anything that will ease this feeling of unease. If the moon was on karaoke, what would she sing? If the stars were at the bar, what would they drink? The earth spinning round like it's had one too many. expands it's got a hunger in its belly for a one night stand everyone's having fun but me the wind's playing out with the trees clouds are pretending to be trying to be me 
It will forever remain an eternal mystery to me why fantastic albums end up in charity shops. I will often trawl through the extensive racks of CDs at Rochester's Oxfam and find myself in a conflicted sense of perplexity. On the one hand, I'll be very grateful that some absolute gem is there for me to snatch up. On the other hand, I'll be completely bewildered as to why its previous owner decided to part with it. And yes, I know it's quite possible they uploaded it onto a hard drive or then how they've just discovered Spotify so they don't need CDs anymore. But still, I don't know, maybe I'm just too much of a bluff old traditionalist with too abiding a love of the physical product. It could, of course, simply be that the former owner doesn't like or never did like the album in question. But it does seem rather odd to make that claim about Saint-Germain's Tourist which is a gorgeously smooth collection of tunes guaranteed to make your evening go by just that bit more blissfully. Landov from the album is as gorgeous a specimen as any other from this particular all-chiller-no-filler record of delight. It opens with some noodling around on the kind of organ you might expect to find down at your local gospel mission hall before saxophones, pianos and trumpets take it in turns to simultaneously soothe and excite your soul before morphing into a piece of trippy dub with dampened bass guitars keeping everything in its right place. It's spellbinding, delicious, and to quote John Thompson, nice. so often I use the rather large quantity of killer bites available on these podcasts to wax lyrical about a musical double act called Dead Anyway, whose members, I probably don't need to tell you by now, are Kate Arnold on vocals and Mark Simmons on everything else. Since forming in 2019, Dead Anyway have given a whole new meaning to the word prolific and they are already on to their third album with five EPs in the bag as well. 
Their latest album, the fantastically named Houdinis of Ennui, doesn't miss a beat, continuing their journey of melding razor-sharp, witty and wise poetry with spectacularly inventive electronica. There's a heartbreakingly open vulnerability about Kate Arnold's lyrics that speaks of a life lived at least as much in shade as in light. Let's take, for example, Are You OK? from the new album, a textbook example of absolute denial if ever there was one. From the opening line of They're only going to fall down your face if you blink, so don't blink, through to the repeated strains of I'm always OK, I'm just having a bad day, Kate Arnold's lyrics will be familiar to anyone who has tried to brush their feelings or watched another brush their feelings under an increasingly lumpy carpet. There are times when Arnold's voice cracks ever so slightly, conveying how close to the edge the character in the song is. There is this clear sense among all the taut pizzicato riffs, stabbed out notes on the cello and the ceaseless rotation of electronic noises that this is the sound of someone on the edge of a precipice. Even the encouraging self-talk of get back on the horse, you're a war horse, sounds like a cry for help, the sound of someone who doesn't quite believe their own mantra. It's a shriek of I am definitely not okay, buried deep beneath several layers of the thickest of woven cut parlax minster. There is nothing about this song that is not absolutely spot on. The samples of the wailing blues man, the thick distortion heavy guitars, Kate Arnold's perfect delivery. It is all meticulously delivered, a pitch perfect representation of life on the edge. They're only gonna fall down your face if you blink. So don't blink. So don't blink. step if you look down so don't look down don't look down get back on the horse 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 you're a war horse get back on the horse so get back on your horse get back on the horse when you don't know what to do when you don't know what to do consult the book that loves you when you don't know what to do when you don't know what to do consult the book that loves you a young slip of a thing, I went with my family to Ashhorn Hall near Warwick as a succession of birthday treats for my grandma. It was, so the boast went, the home of the Nickelodeon collection, a vast selection of coin-operated music machines that predated the jukebox. 
But the main draw for our nostalgic family, at least, was the Wurlitzer organ that had been rescued from somewhere or other and installed in a concert area of the Grand House where it would rise out from beneath the floor. The resident organist was a chap called Craig Boswell who had apparently been playing theatre organs since the age of 10. One of the party pieces he would play as part of his shows was a tune called Tiger Rag. As with most ragtime tunes, it's a fast and furious beast of a tune and the young Mr Boswell would add to the complexity of the piece by switching keyboard manuals at lightning speed, effectively playing the tune in three dimensions. Tiger Rag has been recorded by a million and one artists being a staple of the jazz tradition. One particularly spectacular recording is that of Django Reinhardt, the guitar legend born in Belgium who fused the traditional music of his Roma heritage together with swing jazz to form something fresh, whimsical and altogether wonderfully light to the touch. On the recording I'm about to play you, he teams up with violinist Stefan Grappelli for a stellar performance of intricacy and absolute splendour. You can hear how much fun they're having riffing through their solos while the bouncy bass line keeps everything all in order. Reinhardt is famous, of course, for being a virtuoso guitarist despite losing the use of two fingers on his left hand following a devastating caravan fire when he was 18. As a result, he developed, through obvious necessity, a completely new technique for playing the guitar. The result is rather beguiling and lovely and sounds ever so much like this. Something of a brutalist splendour to Mona Etoise's I Wrote You a Letter, all jabbing keyboards and stark pounding beats. It's a sombre disco tune documenting singer Alison Manicor's coming to terms with the fact that as her mother lay dying, there would soon come a point when they would no longer be able to talk to each other. While the beats and sounds were at the height of electro cool, there's still plenty of room for raw emotion, tender reflection and heart-wrenching sorrow to permeate the whole thing. The lyrics are based on the contents of a letter that Manicor's mother urged her daughter to write and keep writing after her passing. I search for a shape, for a shadow, for a form in the snow, for a smell, for a glow. I search for a sign of your light, for a sign that you might be there. It's simple, stark, elegant and heartbreaking. I've got my feet in the air I've got my back full of you I'm ready to fly To nowhere 
I've been asked to review for various online publications. In the days before album reviewers would be sent depressingly clinical links to mp3 files, I'd get a small thrill of excitement when the postman would deliver a thick parcel containing a bulging wadge of promotional CDs that I knew very few other people in the world would have been able to hear yet. It was an absolute lucky dip, of course. To be honest, there were very few absolute stinkers I'd ever have to review. But there were quite a few CDs that I'd struggled to find anything to write about that sounded a bit more imaginative and engaged than simply, meh, it's alright I suppose. One album that definitely did not match that description was Baraka Som Sistema's Comba, which fused traditional African music, or complicated rhythms and chants, with electronica and hip-hop. The result was a technical thrill ride that absolutely demanded some kind of physical movement on behalf of the listener. Barakaton, the final song on the album, bursts with vitality, a duel between male and female voices, while drum and bass rhythms appear and disappear amid a mass of gloriously weird squelchy noises and heavy beats. It's an audible riot of colour and kinetic energy and fieriness, and it goes something. Sube el volumen que la cosa está que suena Just look for songs in the key of 
and follow the living daylights out of it for future updates from yours ever so truly. I'm always on the lookout for new things to listen to and generally enjoy, so if you're a singer, songwriter, band member or just big old music fan with something you'd like to share, please do drop me a line. I'll be back sooner or later with songs in the key of something or other else sometime soon. Until then, have a marvellous few days and nights till we meet again. Sube el volumen que la voz está de suena. Y